First Church has always believed in reaching the unchurched. Our church was founded in 1954, and from the beginning, our founding pastor, Wally Rindale, and the leaders at that time, and the leaders since that time, have made reaching the unchurched a priority of First Church, a driving force for First Church. Now, I want you to look at the screen. Some of you are new. You do not know this this was, our relo- this was our location over on 42, right on the corner of Weaver Road in 42. And we built three buildings there. One in the middle. See the two doors in the middle? That was our first auditorium. Then they built the education space. And then we built this new auditorium. And we were there until 1995. Now, those of you who were with us over on 42, will you stand so the folks can see you? If you were with us over on 42, stand up so the folks can see you. Look around, folks. Look around. Look around. (laughs) These are the people who pioneered this great church, and uh, there are not many of us now, (laughs) but uh, we thank them. Now, the property and the three buildings on US 42, and then relocating to this property in 1995, and building the three buildings here, and then buying the property in Union and rehabbing that building for the church in Union, cost us millions and millions and millions of dollars. And First Church families sacrificed their hard-earned money to buy those three expensive pieces of property and build six buildings, three on this one, three on 42, and then rehab the building in Union. And we did it for one purpose, one purpose, to reach the unchurched, to reach the unchurched to reach the unchurched with the good news of salvation, to reach the unchurched. We didn't do it because it's fun. Do you think it's fun to relocate a church? I was six foot six when we started relocating a church. Relocation did this to me. And I had hair, and it wore it off. No, it was not fun. But we had to do it in order to reach more unchurched. Now, what's this all about? My assignment for this series is a church for the unchurched. Now, why? Because we do not want to become indifferent to the condition of the lost. We don't use that word much anymore. The unchurched, the unchurched. So what is this business about, reaching the unchurched? I don't think anybody says it any better than my favorite scholar, John Stott. John Stott says to evangelize or to reach the unchurched is to spread the good news that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the Scripture, and the liberating gift of the Spirit is given to all who repent, believe, and are baptized. Evangelism itself is the proclamation of Christ as Lord and Savior with a view, with a view of persuading people to come to Him personally and be reconciled to God. Now, that's what reaching the unchurched is all about. That's why we have to reach the unchurched. So what does the Bible say then about reaching the unchurched? It says, first of all, we need to believe that everybody needs to be saved. Saved is a good word. We don't use it much nowadays, but it is a good biblical word. We need to understand everybody needs to be saved. 
First church, unless we have this conviction that a person who has never accepted Jesus Christ needs to be saved, we will not be motivated to develop and sustain an ongoing emphasis in reaching the unchurched. Because, folks, it's about life. Life itself, eternal life. There was a little lady from the Midwest who was visiting London, taking a tour of London, and, of course, they all tours take you to this place, the Westminster Abbey, this beautiful, beautiful cathedral. Uh, this is the mother church of, of, uh, of the Commonwealth, of uh, the British Commonwealth. And as they were ending the tour of this beautiful building, the little lady from the Midwest, when he asked, is there any questions? And the little lady from the Midwest raised her hand and she said, sir, has anybody been saved here lately? Now that's a good question for any church. Has anybody been saved here lately? So we need to understand that everybody needs to be saved. And then we must believe what the Bible says about Jesus. We have to believe what the Bible says about you. We cannot be fuzzy about what the Bible says about Jesus. We have to be truly clear. Can't be fuzzy here. There was a couple who had been married 40 years He was laying on the couch with his head in her lap. And she took his glasses off and she was rubbing his forehead and patting his forehead. And she said, you know, honey, with your glasses off, you look like the same young man that I married 40 years ago. And he looked up and he smiled sweetly and he said, you know, honey, with my glasses off, you look pretty good too. He probably slept on that couch that night. (laughs) We must believe what the Bible says about Jesus. We cannot be fuzzy. Look at the screen. I want you to read these out loud with me. And let's read them with some conviction. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Next one. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Next one. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Next one. This is Peter saying the same thing that Jesus said. Simon Peter, this is in the book of Acts. Read it with me. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be, what's the word? Saved. It's a good word, saved. So if everybody needs to be saved, the good news is this. If Jesus is the one who does the saving, that means that anybody can get what everybody needs because nobody is beyond the reach of God. Amen? Amen. And we must believe not only what the Bible says about Jesus, but we must believe that the fields are ripe unto harvest. Look at what Jesus says. This is Jesus speaking. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about? What's he talking about? Boone County has three megachurches. 
A mega church is a church whose attendance is 2,000 plus. Boone County has three. It is rare that a county would have one mega church, but we have three because there are only 1,200 mega churches in the United States. 1,200 churches that are, their attendance is over 2,000. Only 1,200 of them in the United States. And we have three in this county right here. You see them, Crossroads, Seven Hills, and First Church. Now, you would think with three mega churches and hundreds of small churches of all size, you would think that we're pretty, doing a pretty good job reaching the unchurched in Boone County. Not many unchurched people in Boone County anymore. Look at the screen. Did you know 68% of the people in Boone County are unchurched? Does that surprise you? 68%. If you live in Kenton County, look at this. 86% of the people in Kenton County are not churched. That's what Jesus is talking about. Wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. 68% of our county, 80%, 86% of Kenton County are unchurched. So if that's the case, then Jesus' marching orders are not a suggestion, they are a command. This is what Jesus said, talking to the disciples, talking to us. All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. On a recent survey said that nine out of ten pastors believe that the primary function of the church is reaching the unchurched. Nine out of ten pastors. Same survey said that eight out of ten church members believed that the primary function of the church was to minister to its members. Same survey. Only one in ten church members saw the primary purpose of the church was to reach the unchurched. Leif Anderson has written a good book called A Church for the 21st Century, and he argues that today's church that survives and thrives will be churches who exist for others. Now, I know, I've been doing this long enough to know that there has to be a balance between reaching the unchurched and ministering to the church. I know there has to be a balance. It has to be maintained if the church is going to be healthy. So there have to be opportunities for us to worship as a church body, fellowship, small groups, women's ministry, men's ministry, kids' ministries of all ages, and so forth. And the balance has to be maintained between reaching the church and the unchurched, or we will be weak. But folks, Jesus' marching orders for the church are not a suggestion. They are a command. And on that, on the heels of that, every Christian then is called to be a witness of their faith in Jesus Christ. Every Christian is called to be a witness of their faith in Jesus I read a church growth guru the other day. I really wanted to talk. I did talk back to the book. I did talk back to the book. Do you ever do that when you're reading a book? Do you ever talk back to a book? I talk to the television. I talk to books. I, I, I coach a lot. Uh, uh, but I talked back to this book because this church growth guru said that in the church, 
Only 10% of the people have the gift for evangelism, and they're the only ones then that should be out reaching the unchurched. I've been doing this for 55 years. I have a word for that. Baloney. (laughs) Baloney. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to young Timothy, his son in the faith, his young pastor friend, he said, Timmy, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say, Timmy, if you've got the gift to do it. He said, Timmy, do it. Just do it. I heard a pastor say from his pulpit, heard it with my own ears, I would not believe it unless I heard it. This is what he said. I don't have the gift of evangelism, and I don't care if you go to hell. Same action I had. Lord, have mercy. Has it come to that? Now, the elders ought to have fired him right after church. Now, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm going to have a lot to count for, but I can't imagine going into the presence of Jesus with that attitude. Now, that's the biblical foundation. How are we going to pull this off? How are we going to reach the 68 unchurched and the 86% unchurched? First of all, all right, say with me here. We, 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 we must think of reaching the unchurched as a process that leads to an event. Are you with me? Are you with me? Nod your head. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> a process that leads to an event. When I met Joyce, it was a process of dating, 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 kissy, kissy, lovey, dovey, mm, kissy, kissy, lovey, dovey, process. And then when we got engaged, it was a kissy, kissy, lovey, dovey, mm, and then the event, woo, then the event of marriage. You're getting me in trouble. It is rather a rare for a couple <laughs> to want to get married on their first date. This happened to me several years over on 42. I don't have time to tell you about it, <laughs> but it'll be in my book. <laughs> oh, I can just see that little old slip of a boy. <laughs> I don't have time to tell it. And you're saying, tell us, I'm going to tell you. used to get to church early in the morning, about 6 o'clock on Sunday morning, and we'd had some people walk in the office, uh, walk in the building, steal some stuff, so we locked the door and had a bell. I was getting ready for Sunday, the doorbell rang, ding, ding. So I went out, and there stood this little old boy. And over standing over here was this little girl. And she was standing here like this. And I said, can I help you? We won't get married. I said, son, it's 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. It must have been a hot date, I'll tell you that. And he said, we won't get married. I said, do you have a license? What's that? <laughs> well, you have to receive a license from the state of the Commonwealth of Kentucky before I can marry you. You do? Where I get one? At the courthouse. Where's the courthouse? I said, it's in Burlington. How do I get there? I said, son, it's Sunday morning, 6 o'clock. It's closed. <laughs> it is? Yes. I noticed the tags on the little pickup truck. I said, son, they're from Indiana. I said, son... If I were you, here's what I'd do. He said, what would you do? I said, I'd get her home for her daddy missed her. That's what I would do. (laughs) Or you're going to be in a bunch of trouble. Well, I've taken up too much time. (laughs) It's very rare for a couple to get married on their first date. The process 
is the same in salvation. It is a process, a process, a process that leads to an actual decision about Jesus. And the process that leads to the event is why First Church has grown. It is called friendship evangelism. Look at the screen. Friendship evangelism is a process of developing a warm relationship with unchurched people in which they can see the gospel lived out in your life, which hopefully will lead to a spiritual discussion that leads to an invitation for them to visit First Church with you. Friendship evangelism, or I like to call it relational evangelism, is not the only method of evangelism. It's not the only method of reaching the unchurched. But it is the method that First Church has used since it has been founded. And the New Testament is absolutely filled with this type of reaching the unchurched. Come and see, come and see, come and see. Andrew went and found his brother Peter, and he said, come and see, we found the Messiah. Philip went to Nate, Nathaniel, and he said, Nate, come and see, we found the Messiah. The Samaritan woman, you remember the woman was out at the well, and Jesus told her everything about her? She went into town and said, come out to the well and see, come and see, this is the Messiah. And you, you remember the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed in the Gadarenes? He was in the tombs and screamed and hollered and scared people to death. And uh, Jesus healed him. And he went home clothed and in his right mind. And he told his friends how much Jesus had done for him. Matthew invited his rowdy butter uh, friends over to his house for a barbecue. Come and see Jesus. Jesus is going to be at my house. You guys, come on over. And Zacchaeus, he invited all of his tax collecting friends, his IRS friends to his house and said, come over for a dinner party. Jesus is going to be here. Come and see. Jesus was accused of eating with sinners and tax collectors. You talk about a relational experience, that's a relational experience. Peter went to the house of Cornelius to speak the gospel to him. He did. And all of Cornelius' household was baptized. Why? Cornelius said, come and see. Come and see. Now, the common denominator in these three methods is come and see. Come and see. Bob Russell in his good book, When God Builds a Church, says this, when your church adopts the come and see method, suddenly every person who has a role in the church has a part of in evangelism. The entire church is a body attempting together to be a place of evangelism. An evangelist is not just a preacher, but any person who has a part in making the church an inspiring place. Another advantage of the come and see evangelism is that it takes no training. Anybody can invite somebody to church. Anybody. Come and see can be done by new Christians, long-time Christians, old people, young people. I know that there are kids in First Church or people in First Church who were brought here and are here today, have a relationship with Jesus because some child asked them to come and see. Now, come and see is how First Church has grown. Now, when I was here, this stat was true, and I doubt, and I believe it is probably true today. 90% of you are here because somebody said, come and see, come and see. I met a very good-looking young couple right down here the other Sunday, did not know them, introduced myself to them, and I said, how did you come to First Church? And they sheepishly smiled and said, 
a Baptist lady told us about First Church. <laughs> now, folks, if we got Baptist ladies out there telling people to come and see First Church, don't you think we ought to get on the stick and get with it? <laughs> so the process of reaching the unchurched is a process. Come and see. Come and see. And that starts the process that leads to the event where they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, if that be the case, if that be the case, First Church must create and maintain a warm, seeker-sensitive environment. Now, I asked this at the first service, and I could not believe this. Any of you guys raised on a farm? Lord, have mercy, you're bad as the First Church service was. What's happening to this country? You're a bunch of city slickers, you know? So you're not, you city people are not going to relate to this at all. And it's a bad illustration. I didn't, I thought more of you would be raised in the country. Well, let me give you the illustration. I don't have time to think of another one. Uh, (laughs) We would take fertilized eggs, chicken eggs, and put them in an incubator. And then we would maintain a constantly warm environment for those eggs to hatch into little chickens. And last week I got to thinking, there's a sermon in there, (laughs) and that's the way we reach the unchurched. We put them in this incubator, this warm atmosphere, and every approach, every program, every service, every ministry, furnishes a particular environment that will lead them into the process of accepting Jesus or will hinder them in the process. Now, how in the world then do we create this friendly, warm atmosphere? Now, again, now again, don't, don't, don't miss a thing. The overall ministry of the church is directed toward the growth of Christians. We know that. But the thermostat has clearly been adjusted to allow the unchurched to receive warmth and care for the lack of a better term that they need to hatch. Which means then, as Darren said last Sunday, we have to remove every barrier that we can think of that would keep those people from accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Every barrier. Now, all these beautiful upgrades that we see in our building, the new seats here in the auditorium, the new coffee stations, somebody called them coffee bars the other day, and I said, no, 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 that's another church, you know. (laughs) The coffee stations, the lounge out in the atrium, and all that's been done to upgrade this building. It's been done for one purpose. Are you with me? Not for our comfort, but for the unchurched who come to check us out. Now, folks, I am convinced, I've been doing this long enough, that we church members, we will put up with rundown facilities and dirty bathrooms and ugly cluttered classrooms and poorly maintained grounds. We'll put up with all that as long as we get you out on time. (laughs) But not so with the unchurched. Not so with them. Everything we do around here, these well-maintained buildings, these well-maintained grounds, 
When the unchurched come in here, they ought to see excellence. Excellence. And when they do, it speaks to them. And then when we went to Union, folks, we could not have thrown up any kind of little clapboard building down there. We had to have a building that spoke of excellence in that community. So we got to maintain a constant, friendly, warm atmosphere that exhibits an attitude of welcome home, welcome home friendliness toward the unchurched who come here. Now, in every survey, when the unchurched and the church ask what they look for in a church, the first thing that was ahead of everything else was the climate of the congregation, the warm, comfortable climate of the congregation. Two Sundays ago, I was out at the coffee station, and uh, there was a guy there. I did not know. I introduced myself to him. How long have you been coming to First Church? This is my first Sunday. Really? Welcome. We're glad that you are here. How did you find us? My friend here. I didn't know his friend. I introduced myself. I said, how long have you been attending? I think he said about six months. Where are you from? Atlanta. How did you find out about First Church? Well, we saw it. And we thought, man, that church is too big for us. We've never been in a church that large before. But we decided to suck it up and come. And when we walked in the doors, we could not believe how warm and friendly this big church was. So we stayed. Now that's what I'm talking about. Warm attracts. Cool Cools a lemonade and people. And a, a cold church is like cold butter. It will not spread. How do you think large churches get big? How do you think large churches get big? Because they're cold and everything? No. Because they're warm and inviting. Warning, warning, warning. We can get so bonded to each other that we unintentionally overlook those that we do not know. Now, here's my challenge. Speak to people you don't know. Introduce yourself to them. Well, I'm so shy. Get over it. (laughs) Introduce yourself. Now, they may be a member. They may be a guest. Good morning. I'm LD. Are you our guest today? And I had a lady say this to me this one time. No, I'm a charter member. <laughs> Just say to them, well, I'm glad we finally met. But if they are a guest, say, welcome to First Church. Thank you for coming. Any questions I can ask you? Can I take you out into the gathering place and introduce you to our pastor? Everything we do here is a conscious attempt to be that incubator that is set just at the right temperature for the unchurched. And we have to constantly work at it. It is not going to happen if we don't constantly work at it. We have to constantly work at creating a safe environment here for the unchurched, as Darren said last week, to hear a very unfamiliar message to them. When we started doing more contemporary, upbeat music. Woo! That's also why I'm so short. Uh, 
We did not do a good job of communicating why we were doing that. And many did not understand, and rightly so, why we wanted a little more lively service. But there was one little lady in our church that got it. She got it. One Sunday morning, she chased me down. Now, when little ladies chase me down before church, between church, or after church, my first impulse is to flee. (laughs) Flee. She said, LD, I don't particularly like the new music, but today I had an epiphany. I said, you did? She said, I did. I said, tell me about it. She said, you know, I work in a nursery. She said, we got babies running out our ears back there. They're everywhere. Have you been back there lately? There are babies everywhere. What are you going to do about it? We don't have any space. And I said, ma'am, I know, but it's all these young couples who are former Catholics that haven't learned birth control yet, you know? get better. Uh, she said, well, I was looking around this morning and I got to looking at those young couples and I just had come from back there uh, teaching those beautiful children about Jesus. And here these young couples are bringing their precious children for us to teach them about Jesus. And you know, I got to thinking, probably one of the things that attracts them is this upbeat music that we've got, this upbeat type of service. And then she looked at me and smiled and she said, LD, let's rock. (laughs) Oh, 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 Lord, let your servant depart in peace. And I thought I could just see the paper the next day. First church pastor found dead in the hall. (laughs) Well, let me say to you, as those, we knew that everybody would not like that kind of service, a more traditional service, and we value you. We appreciate you. We love you. And that is why we started TRIO. And if you would like a more traditional service, TRIO is Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And you've got Gary and Evan and the stage singers. And it's a wonderful service for those of you who like a more traditional service. It is. And I, I come to this one. I go to that one as well. I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. I'm an old man. And uh, we go to both and enjoy both of them. So why did we do that? So that we could reach the unchurched who liked a little more contemporary music. So we could reach the unchurched who liked a little more traditional service. Dear ones, dear, dear ones, we have to constantly remember That Jesus came for the outsiders and the lost and the broken and the hurting and the disenfranchised and the alone and the lonely and the overlooked and the poor and those who had been rejected by religion. That's why he came. And as a church, we can never get so inward. We can never get so focused on ourselves that we forget those whom Jesus came for. Amen. We have had one of the most successful years in reaching the unchurched that we've had. 
And you know why? You know why? Darren Morandi's leadership. Amen? I believe, and I've practiced for years, that everything rises and falls on leadership. So why do you think that we have had that kind of atmosphere? Because Darren Morandi refocused us to reaching the unchurched. And praise God, in 2017, 165 people were baptized in this church. Amen? Amen. Yeah. A few weeks ago on Vision Night, Vision Night is when Darren gets all of the core leaders of the church who are involved in ministry and the people who make this thing really work. And uh, they get together once a quarter and they celebrate 165 people. They have a time of celebration of what the Lord's done in that last quarter. And then it gives Darren time to issue a challenge. A challenge to not be satisfied with what we've done. This is what Darren said at the last vision meeting. He said, the greatest threat to current success is past success. Right? He said, we will be tempted to coast if we lose our edge, our sense of urgency. 68%, 86%. Complacency is a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, smug satisfaction with an existing situation. This is what he said. Complacency will always try to overshadow opportunity. And then he closed by saying, my hope for us is that we always celebrate, but we are never satisfied. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Do you remember the movie, The Guardian, not the TV show, but the movie, The Guardian, that was starred by Kevin Costner? When it comes to reaching the unchurched, we have to take the same attitude of that old veteran rescue diver, Ben Randall, played by Kevin Cosner. At the end of the movie, Jake Fisher, an up-and-coming young hotshot diver who is going to take over for old Ben Randall, played by Kevin Cosner, when Ben retires. And Jake says to the old guy, what's your number? What's my number? My number is 22. 22? I thought you saved far more than that. 22 is the number I lost. That's the only number I ever counted were the ones that I lost. I want us to rejoice that 165 people were baptized in 2017 but I want to challenge you to keep before us that 68% of our county is still unchurched and 86% of Kenton County is unchurched. That's the challenge. And I hope when we come to the end of 2018, we'll be able to display on the board that 265 people have been immersed into Christ this coming year. Amen? Amen. Go ahead.